Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin this morning with Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. Jesus is telling a parable here, but in a rich and ironic way, he's actually telling a parable about parables. And so he's going to teach us how to understand parables by telling us a parable. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. You're now the word of the Lord. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples said, asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear it. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Amen. In this cornerstone parable, Jesus introduces his disciples to his principle of parables. Here's what he's trying to do. Ultimately, it's framed by this idea that there is a great multitude and that Jesus intends for some of them to get the message, but not all of them. And so the telling of a parable is a clever way for him to clearly, openly reveal his point while obscuring it from those who ought not to hear it. By this, he's acknowledging the reality of the human condition. That there are, for me even this morning, four different audiences in this room. Those of you who have hard-packed hearts like the soil of a a path in which the words of the gospel will land 
and lay exposed for Satan to snatch at will. But for some of you, there are hearts filled with rocks. That is the hard and sorrowful things of this life. The seed will take brief and short root, and all the tragedies of life will sweep it away. For some of you, it is rather the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. It is the busyness of the life that lies outside this room that will quickly distract you from the words you hear this morning. But Jesus notes that some within this audience, some within his audience, have good soil. Do you notice that he defines good soil as a noble heart? That keeps the word, that holds on to the word, that patiently allows the word to bear fruit in their lives. This is the meaning then of his phrase in verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is to say, everyone within reach of my voice has ears. Everyone here, you have two ears? Yes? Most of you, unless there's been some accident or something. And your ears here. Now, I know for some of you, either at the very end of the spectrum, your hearing has diminished. Or at the other end of the spectrum, your hearing is very selective. Because you are young. Either way, we all have some range of hearing. So what does Jesus mean? Ears to hear, let them hear. He is pointing to the meaning of his parable. A heart behind the ears. Who has a heart willing to hold on to the word that he is giving to the ear? With that in mind, turn back to Proverbs chapter 4. Our sermon this morning is from Proverbs chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We continue with Solomon's eight essential qualities of wisdom. He's laid out in chapters 1 through 3 this introduction. What is wisdom? Where do you get it? What does it do to you when you have it? But now he is issuing to his son eight essentials that wisdom must have. The first was generosity. This second one today is listening. Wisdom listens. So listen then to Proverbs chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. Here again the word of the Lord. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. Amen. And amen. When I was six or seven, I don't remember the exact year, I was in an elementary school called Banford. It was in Canton, New York. 
There's at least one of you that knows where that is. And we were assigned a music appreciation class. Any of you guys remember this? This is a music appreciation class. We were required to spend 20 to 30 minutes every day sitting in a class listening to music, learning to listen to music. I had a particularly talented and inspiring music teacher that year. He played for us Peter and the Wolf. And every time a new instrument would come in, he would put a picture of that instrument on the wall and a picture of the animal, or Peter, that it represented next to that instrument. And pretty soon there across the wall were all the characters, both the instruments and the animals, lined out on the wall. And he could point to each one as they would play their different notes. And, and he trained us to listen and to hear the voice of each musical instrument as it told its part of the story. When we graduated from that, we went on to Edvard Grieg's in the Hall of the Mountain King. And we learned to hear the little tiptoes in the hall and the echoes on the rock. And we learned to hear the king awaken in the fight and the flight and the fast escape with a crash at the end. We learned to listen. Isn't it amazing that we're born with functioning ears? It's one of the first things they check in the delivery room. Are the ears functioning? And yet... Perhaps the number one thing you teach your children for 18 years is how to listen. And yet, the number one complaint in most marriages are, is, they don't listen. We are a people who need to learn how to listen. Learning to listen is a lifelong task, a consuming and important prospect. And for Solomon, he lays before us here in chapter 4 of Proverbs the responsibility of the young, the middle-aged, and the old to learn to listen specifically to Jesus. You see, the truth that he will serve to his children this morning in Proverbs 4 is that Jesus is the best human. Jesus is the perfect person. And so we must train our ears to listen to him. We must learn to listen attentively to him. Learn this with me. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Solomon says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Notice that he has changed the vocative direction of the first verse. What has Solomon said for three chapters? Listen, my son. It's plural. He has moved from addressing the singular son, that heir who is to follow, to addressing all of his children. The reason for this is that in here in chapter 4, he's going to employ mostly the voice of his father, David. Most of chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, are actually David's words, which Solomon is repeating. By this, Solomon introduces us to the multi-generational nature of wisdom. He gives to his children, as his father gave to him, three commands. Hear, pay attention, and forsake. Verses 1 through 2. Hear, my children. That is, listen to the words, the instruction of your father. Actually receive them into your ears, into your mind, and as we saw with Jesus' parable, into your heart. For the Hebrew culture, to listen is to obey. 
Some of you may have heard that when you were children. Some of you may have repeated that when you became a parent. To hear is to obey. Children, do not let the word pass into your ears and disappear from consciousness. Hear and obey is what Solomon has in mind here. He adds to that command, give attention. That is, listen and obey with focus, with intentionality, with deliberation. Do not be easily distracted. Perhaps you can relate well to this experience. You hand your child a stack of clothes. You say, go upstairs and put them away. Where do the clothes end up? At the first available toy. There is quick and easy distraction. We move and are immediately forgetting. Solomon says, don't be that way. No, no, listen. Listen attentively. Listen with focus and deliberation. Thirdly, he says, do not forsake. Do not wander away from this listening posture, from this listening pose. Hear the words, pay attention to the words, and maintain that attention. Do not go from an attentive person on Sunday morning for 60 minutes to someone who is distracted and focused on everything else Monday through Saturday. If we are to be a growing people, we must be a persistently attentive people. But Solomon then says to his son, his children, what they are to pay attention to. Pay attention to the instruction of a father. Pay attention to understanding. Do not forsake my law. He sums it up in the reason that he gives for this close and careful listening. For I give you good doctrine. The reason the children should listen attentively and persistently to their parent is because the parent is giving good doctrine. Things you ought to know. And things which ought to shape your life. Notice first, my friends, you do what you believe. Behavior follows belief. This is an important lesson for us as parents. We sometimes prefer the cheap road and go with behavioral modification. Any level of fear and pain can produce the right behavior from your child in the right circumstances. But this is not God's aim for us as parents or as mentors. Rather, God would have us learn and grow out of a heart of love, knowing the truth and thus practicing the truth. Now, when Solomon says to his children, good doctrine, he doesn't mean, let's pick up the institutes, let's go to Charles Hodge, and let's read Gerhardus Voss, all of which I highly recommend to you. That is not, however, what he means. By good doctrine, Solomon means that knowledge and understanding of God which is the context for knowing and understanding everything else. You see, when we study the doctrine of human nature, it's not so that we can become good anthropologists. When we study the doctrine of human nature, we are studying the people who are made in the image of God. And when we study creation and providence, we are studying the works of God. And when we study the doctrine of revelation, we are studying the word of God. My friends, God is the context by which we know who we are, by which we know what the world is. 
God is the environment who gives meaning and value and purpose to who we are and what we are doing in this life. We must listen attentively and persistently to those who talk about God. For in knowing God, we know our world. In knowing God, we know ourselves. This is what Solomon has said is wisdom. That we know who God is, what he has done, and what he wants. This knowledge of divinity is what gives us humanity. You must know God. Solomon, having laid down this foundation, builds on it by pointing back to his own historical experience. In verses 3 and 4, he says, When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, save one, had to learn. He actually wasn't born wise. Do you know that Solomon was born as silly and as stupid as all the rest of us? He had to learn wisdom. Most remarkably of all is even more so Jesus Christ, our Savior, who learned wisdom, who grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature, favor with God and with man. My friends, all of us are brought into the world as humans with the design of learning from our predecessors. That when we are children, we should learn from those who are in authority. But notice that Solomon lists this out as a celebratory fact. I was my father's son. Hardly the first, right? By the time Solomon comes along, David not only has many sons, he has many sons who are adults and have sons of their own. David is grandpa age by the time Solomon is born. But notice what he says about his mother. Tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. Of course, Solomon is the only one in the sight of his mother by tragic necessity because his older sibling had died as a result of David's sin with Bathsheba. Solomon here is acknowledging the fallenness of his parents. And yet he recognizes in their sinfulness they were God's instrument to produce in him tremendous wisdom. This we see too in the life of Jesus. For the very passage in Luke's gospel that says Jesus grew in wisdom is the passage where we are told that he submitted to his sinful parents. Little children, I know you don't have the best parents. I know you don't have the perfect parents. I know that all the other parents in the world are better than yours. But little children, give thanks to God for parents who love God. Who give you good doctrine. Who tell you who God is, what God has done, and what he wants you to do. This is what Solomon celebrates. I had parents who knew God and who gave me the knowledge of God. Then he turns to children. He taught me saying, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Rather, let me turn to the parents. This then should be the aim of our instruction. The goal of our desire is hearts that hold on to the words of God. Our goal, dear parents, cannot ultimately be simply well-behaved kids. It cannot simply be well-informed kids. As Solomon here learned from his parents, our ambition must be children whose hearts are holding onto the word of God. 
who keep the commandments and live. From little things you say, have you recognized the tremendous importance, parents, when you say to your children, go to bed? That is not an idle command. That is a life-sustaining, life-giving command, as all of you sleep-deprived adults have discovered. Oh, if only we had obeyed our parents and learned how to sleep. Our adult lives would have been so much better. That little command, eat your vegetables and stay out of the sugar, if only we had obeyed, our lives would have been so much better. But from these small examples to the great big ones, little children, read your Bibles. Little children, cast your cares upon your heavenly Father, for he cares for you. In these parental commands is life. In the knowing of God, in what he has done, in what he wants us to do, there is life. There is eternal life. For as Jesus has taught us in John's gospel, we only live when we know God. Knowing God is eternal life. Dear parents, teach your children God. Give them good doctrine. Dear children, rejoice in the good doctrine of your parents. Bless God for it. Solomon then turns, and for the rest of the passage provides David's instructions to him. David says to him in verses 5 and 7, get wisdom, get understanding. It's repeated in verse 7. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. There's a couple things I want you to see in this framework. First, Solomon's famous story When he first becomes king and God comes to him at night and says, what is the one thing you want from me? And Solomon passes riches. And Solomon passes glory. And Solomon passes victory. And Solomon says, give me wisdom. That was not Solomon's idea. It was his dad's. That was Solomon's request because his dad told him to do that. Solomon frames this principle that it would be preeminent in our minds. Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. It should be first and foremost in your pursuit. When God comes to you and says, what's the one thing you want in life? Your answer is, I want wisdom. Now remember, wisdom doesn't mean the ability to do everything cleverly and cunningly. It means knowing God. Wisdom is knowing God, his will and his character, his word. David puts this in a chiasm. Notice here that it sounds very Davidic because verses 5 and 7 frame in a poetic way this teaching of David. It begins and ends with the command, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. By putting it at the very beginning of verse 5 and at the very end of verse 7, David draws Solomon's attention to this principal thing. This preeminent priority. Whatever you get in life, get wisdom. David is here assuming that as Solomon grows up, he's going to be aggregating stuff. And what he needs to do is focus on aggregating the right stuff. How many of you recognize this principle in your life? 
That as you get older, the chief things that you get are more memories, more hurts, more experiences, more offenses, more pain. How many of you recognize, well, I'll give you my own family as an example. When we moved from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma, having just graduated from seminary with three small kids, everything we owned fit in our car in a 16-foot U-Haul. Some of you may have remembered what it took to get our stuff into that house a few years later. Isn't it weird? You just go through life living, and somehow stuff fills your house. David says to Solomon, you will spend a lifetime getting. But in all you're getting, get wisdom. Throughout your life, you will read more books, hear more things, learn more things, have more experiences. More and more will be added to you. But in all that you add, add the knowledge of God first and foremost. In all that you add to your existence, add wisdom. That is the knowledge of God, His works, and His will. Who is He? What has He done? And what does He want you to do? This is the principal thing. To know who God is, what He has done, and what He wants you to do. This is the principal thing. In all you're getting, get wisdom. Between these two bookends in verses 5 and 6, Solomon's father also told him, do not forsake or turn away from these words. By forsake, he means neglect. Do not casually give up this. Make it your lifelong ambition to be a knower of God, a lover of God. But by saying do not turn away, David adds, do not deliberately abandon the quest. Do not forget, that is, do not neglect it and slide away casually from it. But do not turn away from it either. Do not intentionally leave off this pursuit. No, do not forsake, he says in verse 6. Do not forsake this wisdom, this knowing of God and of His word and will. Rather, in verse 6, he says, love wisdom. Love wisdom the knowledge of God. Love the Word of God. Love the works of God. Love the will of God. He gives his son this encouragement, this promise. If you know God, that knowledge of God will preserve you. If you know what God wants from your life, that knowledge will keep you safe. There is the power to endure the sufferings and sorrows of this life that is only found in knowing God and in rejoicing in that knowledge. Loving Him, cherishing Him, clinging to Him, putting Him first and foremost. The theocentric human is the most human, the most endurable, the most complete and perfect. It is God who is the principal thing. And we must get him into the center of our imaginations, the center of our ambitions, the center of our understanding. To draw this out, to lay it down into the heart of his children, Solomon then repeats David's words in verse 8 and 9, giving both again what ought to be done and what is the consequence of doing it. In verse 8, he says, Exalt wisdom. And embrace her. By exalting wisdom, Solomon and his father David mean for their descendants to put on high wisdom 
Make it the chief ambition. Make it the chief goal. We have in our lives many such desires. Many things we want to accomplish, many experiences we want to have, many places we want to go, many people we want to see. Solomon says through his father David, make God the chief person. Make heaven the chief place. Make the scriptures the chief book. Make the will of God your chief goal. If I were to say it in our little Westminster language, make glorifying and enjoying God your chief end. Exalt wisdom. Exalt the knowledge of God. Make it the chief pursuit and habit of your life. Exalt the knowledge of His works and of His will. What has He done? What does He want you to do? Make this the aim and ambition. What are you doing with your life? Is it not knowing God? He says also embrace it. Love and hold fast to it. Cling to it. There's almost a metaphor in saying love her in verse 6. Embrace her in verse 8. Exalt her in verse 8. The combination of these is suggestive of marriage. Be wedded to wisdom. Be united in deep, lifelong commitment to knowing God, His works, and His will. Solomon, in this way, stirs up an expectation that from generation to generation, the best legacy a child can receive from a parent is wisdom. A relationship with God. Can you imagine? Imagine this experience of Solomon. He is in a palace of which the like has never been seen. He will build a bigger one. But David has a pretty good one to begin with. There in David's house he grows up. Prince of Israel. With every privilege, every wealth, every servant, everything you ever dreamt of giving to your children that you as children dreamt of possessing. And David and Bathsheba have patiently, repeatedly drilled into his head. Listen to me, child. Listen to me. More than anything else in life, get this. God. Know him. Love him. Obey him. Know his will and practice it. Then he promises this young prince the fruit of it. She will promote you She will bring you honor. By saying that she will promote you, David says to his little boy Solomon, you will grow up big and tall. She will promote you. She will lift you up. You will stand straight and firm. You will be upright in all your ways. If you know God and his works and his will, you will be the tallest, straightest, steadiest human imaginable. What is more, she will bring you honor. This metaphor holds for us, although we need to do a little bit of work. The Hebrew word here for honor is the word for glory, which is the word for being heavy. Because in Hebrew culture, fat people are the glorious people. I kid you not. In Hebrew culture, in an agrarian, impoverished society, someone who is wealthy doesn't have to do manual labor. And in fact, can eat all of the richest, most abundant foods. And so in Hebrew culture, the honorable and the glorious are big. This is how it works in their culture. 
And so when Solomon is told by his father, if you want to grow up, my son, and be big and tall, you need to get God. You need to be wise. Sleep is important to being big and tall. Vegetables are important to being big and tall. Protein is important to being big and tall. That's my favorite one. But more important than this is wisdom. For when David tells his son Solomon that he will grow up into full manhood, when he embraces wisdom, when he exalts wisdom, he doesn't mean that he will be taller than Mr. Montgomery or Mr. Fisher. He doesn't mean that he will be bigger and stronger than all the weightlifters on TV. He means godlier. Higher in holiness, broader shouldered in love, a better human, a fuller human, a more complete human. When we embrace knowing God as our aim and ambition, we embrace the core of our human identity. When we understand that it is knowing God that makes us human and more richly human and more fully human, then Solomon's point has come home to us at last. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Notice first in his climax that Solomon is told by his father David that this ornament of grace and of glory is not something to be achieved, not something to be acquired, not something to be earned or obtained. It must be given to us. It must be delivered to us. The perfection of our humanity is not something we earn or achieve or build or pursue. The perfection of our humanity, the grace and the glory that brings us into the fullness of what we were created to be in the garden comes as a gift through wisdom, through the knowledge of God and of His Word and of His will. This grace that adorns the head making radiant and beautiful all that we were intended to be, coming to the full fruition of our humanity. It is something that wisdom gives us, something that she places on our head. This crown of weight and of significance and of glory is something she delivers to us. We become more ourselves when we become knowers and lovers of God. The worth and value and knowledge of humanity is found in divinity. And this, my friends, is a point made most profoundly, poignantly, and perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. And I do not apologize for my alliteration. Hopefully those words stick with you. Oh, dear friends, name one human who focused more on knowing God than Jesus. There is none. And that's why he was the perfect person. He grew in wisdom and favor and knowledge with God and man. He is the son of David here addressed in the person of Solomon. This is why it passes from children to children. For though Solomon was the only one son of Bathsheba, and while Jesus is the only begotten of his father, in Christ you by faith are adopted children of the living God, heirs 
of this sweet salvation. Heirs to this glorious sanctification. Not humans abandoned to this fallen, miserable condition we here see. But adopted children of the living God. Designed in Christ through faith in Him to be like Him. Conformed to His image. That in knowing Him we should be made as He is. One thing we have dreadfully discovered this past week is that humans are capable of the most inhumane activities. There is no creature on the planet less human than a human. We are the most beastly of creatures. We are the most vile and violent. And we sit back and we look at the news. And we sit back and we look in the mirror And we see a ruined people. But Solomon offers us hope. Hope he heard from his father. There's another human. A human whose heart is the heart of God. A human whose will was bent to the will of God. Who learned to pray throughout his life of suffering. Not my will, but your will be done. Who learned in all his humanity to live in the full knowledge of divinity. And he is at work in us. That we too should be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Beloved, this is both the summons and the salvation that is set before you today. That we should know Jesus is the perfect person. And listen attentively to him. In knowing him, we shall be like him. Beloved, Jesus is the perfect person. Listen attentively to him. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these beautiful words, for this rich teaching. We thank you that David, through the inspiration of your spirit, gave these words to his son Solomon, who wrote them down for his children, for his children's children, that from generation to generation, we might know the work of salvation you are doing in us, and that we might know your will for us, that we might obey you. Oh God, we give you thanks for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom is the fullness of divinity in whom is the perfection of humanity. And we pray, O God, that in Him we should be as perfect as You are. That in Him, by His Spirit and Word, we should be conformed to those commands which You have given us. We thank You for our Christ and pray that we would today rejoice in Him and long to know Him. For this we pray in His name. Amen.